And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. And thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and this is Finding a Voice, Spoken Word Program. We're in here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And in the first hour from, we're going to go back into it, started it two weeks ago, but the September 21st 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event here, you're going to hear readings by Jessica Rivera-Valsham, Sasha Hill, Travis Canadian, Robert Millard, Alyssa Cooper, and Billy Kearns. And in the second hour, again, from that same September 21st 100,000 Poets for Change event, You'll hear readings by Paul Kelly, Tia Lunn, Paul Shepu, and Sarah Dunkley. This first, though, uh, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on the show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So up first, this hour, we're going to move back into... Seems like I'm very loud here. Let's try that. That sounds a little better. Uh, We're going to move back into the, again, September 22nd, 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event that was held here uh, September 21st. It's hard to believe. That's over a month ago. Wow, where does it go? And uh, we began, as I mentioned earlier, two weeks ago, airing uh, readings and music from this. Uh, that day featured two dozen poets and 40 musicians, and it was held at Spire. And uh, we're going to, uh, we've in the past now already done the afternoon sessions, and we also did uh, the first musical performance in uh, the evening sessions. So we're going to move more fully into it. I won't be able to complete it today. I've got a half hour, 40 minutes, something like that next week, but we'll finish it then. But uh, let's move into the first poetry reading. Let me double check and see if we're all set up here. Looks like it. Uh, First poetry reading that evening with, or by, I should say, Jessica Rivera Balsham. But in this order, this evening, in this first half, you're going to hear Barbara Lorraine Lang, Jessica Rivera-Balsham, Sasha Hill, Travis Canadian, Robert Millard, and Alyssa Cooper. Up next, Jessica Rivera-Balsham is a multidisciplinary artist in the community. She's been writing poetry since she was six, and she's read at two of these previous 100,000 Poets for Change festivals. Let's bring up Jessica Rivera-Balsham. Tiali, Piali, Qualitonali, no no toca Yesica, no no toca tonal, pasiwat. I'm very grateful to be here. So, my name is Yesi or Yesica. Some people call me Yes. Some people call me Yesi or Yesica. Um, and my spirit name is Panther, um, no, sorry, Jaguar Medicine Woman. So, it was gifted to me from an elder in the community uh, from Tenochtitlan. And he was also carver of that beautiful gum, um, gum that beautiful drum that was uh, gifted to me from Tenochtitlan. As well. So the title of this is called Jaguar Medicine Woman. 
Trust the life path with the confidence that the answers will come to each leap forward, with awareness and connection of all the ancestors before me and ahead of me. The jaguar, the jaguar's medicine includes seeing and trying to understand the roads and patterns within chaos, moving without fear in the darkness, moving in unknown places, shape-shifting, vision-questing, facilitating soul work, empowering oneself, reclaiming power, reclaiming voice. Although this grateful yet ferocious feline was associated with the sun, as in the Maya culture, it also has been associated with the moon. As a protector, the motherly jaguar encourages us to embrace the power of the unknown as a catalyst to release our fears. As a child, I had nightmares of the world on fire, my soul bearing witness to the destruction of the earth, when the earth became like the sun and the earth became my heart. The journey of the sun across the sky and the darkness of the night presented the infinite journey of human consciousness and its transformations. The midday sun's position was compared to the eagle flying high in the sky to then plunge below the horizons, just as we plunged into the dark to face our spiritual challenges to be transformed. The hidden sun was said to be the jaguar, whose spotted skin represents the stars glittering, shining in the night sky. Jaguar is the earth father, holding the authority over the sacred power and of in the earth and the animals who live upon it. The force that lives within the mountains, giving them their volcanic and transformative power, is the same underworld source of energy and power contained within the jaguar sun. Father Earth and Mother Earth, in a 360 balance as a two-spirit. Through life and death, jaguar medicine woman, full-time earth and water protectors, drummers and dancers of the night, and the light within. Jaguar warriors were full-time warriors. We are the water and earth protectors, drummers and dancers of the night, and the light within. That's what the Thank you. Thank you. Jessica Rivera Belton, let's give her uh, give her another hand. And that was, uh, you just heard, Jessica Rivera-Balsham in the first half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event that was held again at the Spire on September 21st. Up next in it, here is Sasha Hill. Up next, Sasha Hill is an apprentice artist and poet based in Kingston, Ontario. She paints in watercolor, pastel, acrylic, and oil, and she performs poetry in local open mics. Her work has been featured in Freelit Magazine, Ultraviolet Magazine, and the Inspired Heart for Teens Poetry Anthology. Let's bring up Sophie Hill. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here. Um, I'm going to share a couple poems about uh, the subject of love. Okay. This first one is called, He's a Fire Eater. <clears throat> My birth is holy, 
Feather flames wisp and decorate my crown in ash. Monuments consumed by burning hail. Voracious love, he developed a taste for flint. He catches the sun in his mouth and words carve love into his esophagus. This one is called Cotton Purgatory. Slip between knowing and searching, between pages, between lips, between lifetimes. Um, This next one is called My Masterpiece. The only way I can ever know a lover is if I unmask him before millions and make him sign my portrait. Uh, This one is called Just Between Us. I wish to give you unblemished roses, devour every petal to make my lips soft, red effuses admiration. Your kindness lies to the left of solitude and remains in the body. Interminable nights with a lover make the stars jealous. Silver suns rise and fall in rhythm on our tongues, one with all and none of us. For universal does not encompass the thoughts with which I think of you. Until tomorrow. We are of the gods. I pray at your altar candles my sacrament. Fire sleeps on my tongue with lullabies of grace. Days are born into nirvana, where I will see you again. This one is called Gap Tooth. The beauty of the day lies between your teeth when you smile. And the last one is uh, my boyfriend, the book hunter and literary sculptor. Time dolefully obeys his every wish. That they could rhyme reason from his lips, he does not break. His eyes cool to silver suns, cooing at daybreak. Sure, as if there will be one more word, he knows every fate at any given time. He brings them to his monastery, folding flint inside his cranium. It breaks within yokes, spurring every new conversation. When they find what you saw after all these years through numb twilights, they will rejoice. As I rejoice in presence of mastery, he sculpts monuments of flesh and marble, sword and gravel, love and literacy. Thank you very much. That's Sasha Hill. Let's give her another hand. And you just heard Sasha Hill in the uh, for, uh, that was uh, the first half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event. Up next in it uh, that evening, here is Travis Canadian. Up next, Travis Canadian, and he prefers to introduce himself. So let's welcome Travis. Travis Canadian, I'm Haudenosaunee, Mohawk, Turtle Clan, and a caretaker of Bell Island, the ancestors' burial grounds. My roots and nation are Ganawage, Six Nations, people of the Flint, and, def- and keepers of the Eastern Door. In my time with my elder cousin, spirit chief for the Bear Clan at Tananega, 
He always said that people have forgotten how to breathe properly and that this is the root of many illnesses. Gratitude is at the core of indigenous culture and teachings. While we breathe, let's take the time to reflect on that gratitude. Gratitude for Brother Sun, whose light shines on everybody equally. In his rays, we can feel the Creator's touch. Gratitude for the waters, Mother's lifeblood, who quenches the thirst for all creatures, Mother's life. Gratitude for our standing family, the trees, who provide oxygen so all creatures can breathe. With our breath, our carbon dioxide, we complete the cycle. Gratitude to the four-legged and the fish family for, for giving their flesh to sustain us. Also for the plants, for the food and the medicine plants to help balance and heal us. For all this, we are grateful to Mother Earth. That feels better. Now time to wrap up with a short land acknowledgement and then explain and to teach you on its meaning. We are gathered here on the Peacemakers Territory, Bay of Quinty in Kingston. Shared hunting grounds of the Shinabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Depending on who you talk to, about 500 to 2,000 years ago, a prophet was sent to us from the Creator. We call him the Peacemaker. At the time, we were nations at war, united only in our bloodlust, but he showed us a path to peace with, with the understanding that true peace is unattainable and that lasting peace requires great care, great care to maintain. He spoke of a dish with one spoon, meaning shared hunting grounds, to provide sustenance for all nations and all peoples. He united the five nations, now six, into a confederacy, which we call the Haudenosaunee, or people of the Longhouse. <laughs> Any more detail than that, and we could be here to Brother Sun Rose. Nyawaga, thank you for your time. Travis Canadian, let's give him another hand. And that was Travis Canadian in the uh, first half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held at the Spire on September 24th. Again, that is part of the tied into, I shouldn't say part of, it's tied into the global. Uh, event of the same name that's been running for I believe eight years now possibly seven for sure uh, and uh, this is our fourth uh, connection to it this year so up next from it here is Robert Millard up next Robert Millard These are his words. Use your words. It is a, it is a plea most uh, 
I think I need my glasses. Looks like I need a lot more than glasses. <laughs> Take two. Use your words. It is a plea most... Uh, No, four-year-olds is later. Oh, preschoolers. I can't even read my own writing. This is really horrible. It is a plea most preschoolers have heard many times from an adult who is emphasizing the value of language as a tool to achieve desired outcomes. It is a concept most four-year-olds can grasp, but which many grown-ups seem to have forgotten. All of the poems he has chosen to read today address important environmental or social issues. He is uh, pleased to join the pre uh, present and also the many thousands of others around the globe who remain optimistic about using the intrinsic power of words as a catalyst for positive and lasting change. Let's bring up Robert Millard. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for asking me to be here tonight. The news. The news as a muse is seldom amusing. People abusing and killing each other, brother on brother, murderous mothers. We smile when we greet and we stab in the back, or we shoot from the hip, dispersing the crowd, defending with passion the right to be armed, the right for protection from threat from the other. Or we lock all our doors, and cower in corners. We measure our worth by the size of our toys. We kneel at the altar and worship the dollar while stealing the food from the mouths of the starving and stealing the future from the hands of our children. Nothing is better behind the computer. The trolls have come out from under the bridge and now they're all friends with the friends of your friends. The bullies are bigger and faster and stronger. There's nowhere to hide where the haters won't find you. They'll cut you and gut you, gag you and blind you, then let you bleed out in some dark cyber alley. But the weather's not bad, except for the floods and the fires and the drought. Tornadoes are larger and happen more often. The ice caps are melting, the oceans are rising, the fish are all dead. And sorry about this. We've got a little bit of technical difficulties here. Let's see if I can fix this up. It was, I noticed on my way over here, a very beautiful fall afternoon. So just kind of very clear and, uh, well, not clear, but calm. There was no breeze at all. So let's... Uh, Try again, Robert Millard. I'm just going to start him over from the very start. Let's see if this is it. 
Up next, Robert Millard. These are his words. Use your words. It is a, it is a plea most... Uh, I think I need my glasses. <laughs> Looks like I need a lot more than glasses. <laughs> Take two. Use your words. It is a plea most... Uh, no, four-year-olds is later. Oh, preschoolers. I can't even read my own writing. This is really horrible. It is a plea most preschoolers have heard many times from an adult who is emphasizing the value of language as a tool to achieve desired outcomes. It is a concept most four-year-olds can grasp, but which many grown-ups seem to have forgotten. All of the poems he has chosen to read today address important environmental or social issues. He is uh, pleased to join the pre uh, present and also the many thousands of others around the globe who remain optimistic about using the intrinsic power of words as a catalyst for positive and lasting change. Let's bring up Robert Millard. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for asking me to be here tonight. The news. The news as a muse is seldom amusing. People abusing and killing each other, brother on brother, murderous mothers. We smile when we greet and we stab in the back, or we shoot from the hip, dispersing the crowd, defending with passion the right to be armed, the right for protection from threat from the other. Or we lock all our doors, and cower in corners. We measure our worth by the size of our toys. We kneel at the altar and worship the dollar while stealing the food from the mouths of the starving and stealing the future from the hands of our children. Nothing is better behind the computer. The trolls have come out from under the bridge and now they're all friends with the friends of your friends. The bullies are bigger and faster and stronger. There's nowhere to hide where the haters won't find you. They'll cut you and gut you, gag you and blind you, then let you bleed out in some dark cyber alley. But the weather's not bad, except for the floods and the fires and the drought. Tornadoes are larger and happen more often. The ice caps are melting, the oceans are rising, the fish are all dying. Most mammals and insects and birds are in trouble. We're breaking the bubble surrounding the planet. We're tearing the fabric, destroying the cover. We're exposing our paper-thin skin to the sun, exposing our naked neglect to the cosmos. We're claiming our proper place in the puzzle by revealing how truly destructive we are. Many layered lies. Many shades of truth and dare are mixed with pompous posturing, circling lies as thick as flies around a pile of fresh manure. The buzzing drone of frantic flapping fills the room, destroys all hope of resolution. When it comes to politicians, lies have many fragile layers. 
Promises as thin as paper quickly separate and tear, turn to pulp and disappear when exposed to time and weather. Half-truths made of old tin cans, hammered into shiny bangles, catch the eye and mesmerize comatose and naive voters. Smoke and mirrors, coats of glitter, help to hide recycled lies of rusty metal. Words like justice, right and fair, twisted quotes from Holy Scripture, laying claims to higher purpose. Bold-faced lies to justify, inflicting needless suffering, endless poisoned rhetoric shouted loudly from the lectern. Concepts such as greater, stronger, ours and theirs are nothing but outdated mantras, party lines of greed and hate, dredged up from much darker times, mixed into a toxic stew, served up by the power brokers as a special of the day, and swallowed whole by hungry ghosts with frightening dreams of empty tables. I saw the law. I saw the law hiding or trying to hide behind smoke screens and reasons to justify shooting, the shadow revealing the shape of the man, not quite exposed, head behind pole. Finger on trigger, braced against danger, he drew down on the suspect, yelled, get on the ground, then rapidly emptied the chamber. The boy was 15 and completely unarmed, but the appropriate color and closely resembled some dangerous offender. The cop was unharmed, though visibly shaken, and was sent home for a couple of weeks with full pay. Following the funeral, crowded with mourners, still numb with shock, still disbelieving the scale of the horror, an internal inquiry found no reason for censure, no solid evidence of undue or unreasonable force. Despite the enormous outpouring of grief and streets overflowing with angry protesters demanding fair action, the media reported all state-sanctioned polls showed unwavering support for the men of the force and commended the shooter for his courage and valor in the face of such obvious danger. The face of war. Horror paints the face of war for those who face it close enough to smell its fetid, soulless breath. Those whose loves are taken from them, those who live with mangled bodies, missing limbs, or mourn the children, dead and buried, but still screaming, haunting dreams of the survivors, horror painted on their faces. Burning Man Burning Man, heart on fire, caught in chaos in the street, fights against the fleeing crowd, runs towards the source of danger, fights oppression with his feet makes a stand for independence, armed with nothing but his burning heart. How low can we go? How low can we go towards self-destruction? How low can we go without touching the bar, without pushing the button and stripping all flesh from the bones of our essence? How long can we dance this hideous limbo to the tune of our anger and fear of the other, how long can we feed this insatiable greed for power and riches while destroying the planet and killing our brothers? How low can we go and still sleep at night? How low can we go and still remain human, deaf to the anguished cries of our mother while ignoring the fate of the innocent children? Words are weapons. Fueled by anger, fed by fear, filled with hate or indignation, words are weapons. Deadly angels, 
Dark Avengers causing chaos, wrecking havoc, smashing peaceful expectations, leaving charred and broken bodies, blackened landscapes in their wake. Filled with love and good intention, words can help to spread the message, help to heal this ailing planet, help to mend the frayed and weakened fragile web, the golden thread which still connects all sentient beings, help us on this darkened path to find our way back to the mother. And finally, planting seeds. If you want to grow some hope, if you want a new tomorrow, pick some rocks, till the soil, plant some seeds, haul some water. Every day, dark seeds are planted, dark thoughts are given fertilizer, negativity and fear nourish many toxic gardens, noxious weeds are everywhere. Tangled vines choking hope, twisted words, lies and half-truths, given prime time, sold as gospel, hate and greed, invasive species, strangle love and empathy. Burning forests, dying oceans, learned helplessness, a deadly virus, spreading faster than the flames, devouring the precious jungle. If you want to stop the fires, forget about the first responders. Focus on the men with power. Focus on the men with matches. If you want to grow some hope, grab a pick, find a shovel, spread some seeds of optimism, shine some light into the shadows. Desperate times need desperate measures. If you need to take up arms, use the weapons you were given. Break the chains wrapped round your arsenal. Lock and load your words. Thank you. And you just heard Robert Millard in the first half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held on September 21st. Up next in it, here is Alyssa Cooper. Up next, Alyssa Cooper is a Canadian author, poet, and performer currently living in Kingston with her partner, two cats, and a Boston Terrier. She is the author of four novels, a short story collection, and two poetry collections, and has performed at festivals, conferences, and special events from Gananoque to Toronto. She believes in feminism, veganism, and the power of the Oxford comma. Let's bring up Alyssa Cooper. pieces for you today. Uh, the first one is called Uncertainty. These are uncertain times in a lot of ways, so it seemed appropriate. Drawing lines in sidewalk chalk, South Ontario mandalas blowing dust into the wind with hands like rainbows. And I'm waiting for the rain. Draw out my timeline pulled thin like spider silk delicate because we never touch the same water twice. Head goes left, heart goes right, body follows both, and I am torn in half, torn to pieces, distributed like stars across the wide night sky, all burning and bright, and I will never be wiped clean the same way again. It's different every time I self-destruct. It changes. Different colored dust in my teeth. Different shapes to the cracks in my molars. I had to learn to speak with my hands. 
Tongue turns to stone when things get absurd. When I step outside the chalk box, mouth turns to marble. My spine is a pole with no direction. Compass rose in my solar plexus, spinning, 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 and I can't find the earth beneath my feet. I am a ship becalmed in the harbor, anchor resting useless on a salted deck. I am the hanged man, limp sails, foot strangled, correcting my motion down to stillness. I am frozen. This indecision tastes like winter, smells like ice. I don't know who I am when the chalk dust settles. Call me artist, call me poet, call me beating heart in a cage of bone. But what is the distance between one rib and the next? How many stories are tattooed inside my skull? The told and the untold. What misstep taught my mouth to swallow feeling? Taught my gut to melt emotion? When did my softness start turning to stone? Fossilization, calcification, precocious child. Gap to smile, what has become of my potential? Remember the feeling of summer sun between shoulder blades. Remember the weight of wings fermenting inside your spine. Remember the paths laid out before you, glittering and bright. This is a prayer to all the versions of me who once drew mandalas in chalk on sidewalks. This is a prayer to spiderwebs. This is a prayer for rain. Uh, so for my next piece, um, this is a older one. Um, I once performed it at the Queen's Poetry Slam, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said that they liked how soft it was. And softness is something that's really hard to hold on to as we get older and turn into grown-ups. Um, so I really appreciated that comment, and this poem has become one of my favorites ever since. This is Dying of Thirst. Kiss your cheek. Like the sun kisses the horizon at the end of the day, coming together after an entire sky apart and being completely consumed. Like, I want to be consumed. Like I am falling into your chest and nesting in the cage of your ribs where your metronome heart will rock me to sleep and keep me there. Until morning when I will leave you again, because that is my nature, my goddamn God-forsaken nature, to love you and leave you and live with my regret until sunset, when I come crawling back like a beaten dog, and you never make me say I'm sorry, gracious and forgiving like the lonely horizon, like I am a spoonful of sugar melting on your precious hillside tongue. And it has been said that a man dying of thirst will guzzle down seawater knowing that it won't save him, only wanting to die with the wetness on his lips. And I want to be that dying man, want to turn my face to the salty shore and open my mouth to the sweet kiss of death. I want to be that tragic story, want to die kissing your cheek like the sun kisses the horizon because I want to be remembered for my return and not for my departure. I want to be remembered for my brilliance at sunset, for that flash of green and touch of destiny, and I want to die with your oasis blooming on my lips, because nothing ever tasted as good as you did, like earth and sea and marshmallows, and nothing ever made me want to come home like you. And I am, I swear, I am coming home. 
Uh, so my third piece is so new that it has not made its way into my brain yet. So I have my trusty notebook here. Um, this piece is called The Things We Learn from Scars. What did our scars whisper the first time that they touched? I used to think that we would be healed by the friction, that your burning touch would sear away the past. I loved you most because you ached like I did. You made me believe that my pain could be useful. Let me be a tool to excise your past. Let the lines on my arm show you the way. Teach me how to swim even when I can't see the shore and tell me. What did your scars dream of the first night they slept beside mine? I have learned more from our time apart than from our time together. Learned more from the distance, like holding my breath to strengthen my lungs and my memories still itch when summer grows old. The changing leaves are spots of blood on fresh sheets. You were the smell of snow under autumn winds, the taste of a penny on the back of my tongue, and my skin gets lonely, remembering that you aren't coming home. What did your scars taste when they first laid their cold lips against mine? And though my skin may yearn on sleepless nights, I remember you this way only because our love didn't survive. The lessons more important than the lasting. It was the back and forth that taught me to run, taught me to choose. And it's okay to start over. A butterfly unmade, a story undone. It's okay to board a plane with only your skin as carry-on, to not know the destination, to rewrite your epilogue and call it the first chapter. I know how to swim because of you, and I wonder, what stories would our scars tell if they met each other now? So I've got one more piece. Um, I think a lot of you have probably heard it a few times, but it suits the theme of the night, so I want to throw it in. I don't do it as much as I used to. Uh, this is Make Me a Dragon. Make me... A dragon. Give me leather wings and steel-strong hide. Give me gold to hoard in this abandoned castle. Make me a dragon. Give me fire in my lungs and iron in my gut. Give me cold blood and a mortal heart with flashing eyes and silver teeth. Make me a dragon. Give me a razor claws and sweeping tail. Give me weapons, so that I do not need to hold my keys like knives between my fingers when I walk home at night. So that I do not flinch when I hear footsteps at my back in the dark. Give me snapping teeth, so that I can forget the while others were learning confidence. I was learning fear, learning to be soft and small, learning not to take up space. So make me massive. Make me proud. Make me a dragon. I would rather be a lizard with flicking tongue and curving horns. would rather learn to breathe smoke than learn to say no with softness, with graciousness, without inciting repercussions. would rather spread my wings and cast terror in my shadow than be reduced to a statistic. Another woman violated behind a dumpster. Another girl with her mattress strapped to her back. So make me powerful. Make me fear. Make me a dragon. I will hoard every moment that I survive. 
I will hoard the feeling of bruises that were mine and torn flesh that was not. I will hoard the memory of each and every one of those nights. We'll collect our strength with silver claws and gather it to my swollen, contented belly. Every woman lost will be a scale on my hide, and each one still alive will be the fire in my lungs. And together, we will turn steel strong in our resolution, because we are not competitors, regardless of what we have been taught. We are not enemies. We are not rivals. We are dragons. Thank you. Was Alyssa Cooper? Let's give her another hand. With that, we're through the first session or the first first half of the evening session of uh, the event tonight, and uh, let's give another round of applause for Barbara, Jessica, Sasha, Travis, Robert, and Alyssa. Just a reminder, and then for some that may have come in late, uh, if you want to donate for the Loving Spoonful or the Spire, the table is up there. There's information uh, as well about them, and they're the two agencies that we are sponsoring tonight. Uh, We will take about a 20 or 25-minute break. Uh, Coming up, and I believe in this order because not everybody's here yet, but I think they will be by then. Uh, but uh, Paul Kelly, Billy Kearns, Tia Lunn, uh, Paul Chaput, Sarah Dunkley, and Chantal Lavoie and me. And then to finish this off like he has done the last three years, we've got Erwin coming back in. So thank you all. I know a lot of you have donated already, so thank you very much for that. But... Uh, There's a ton of food left over there, too, so help yourselves. I'll catch you back here in a few minutes. And you just heard, uh, ahead of uh, my closing comments, you heard Alyssa Cooper in the first half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change. Kingston event again held at the Spire. Up next in it, uh, Paul's uh, was the first uh, reader up, Paul Kelly, but it didn't fit in this hour, so I'm sliding him into the second. Billy Kearns, uh, a.k.a. Billy the Kid, followed him, and that's who you're going to hear now. Friends, herself, her family, and good-smelling food. She has an infectious excitement for life and she expre- uh, that she expresses through tender details in her writing. Let's bring up Billy the Kid. Hello. Uh, so I have three poems for you tonight. Um, and this first one... I always think of when I go to like a big city and you kind of get swallowed up in everything and you kind of just like need a moment where you break out of 
complacency and break out of routine. I call this bubble. Sick in the strings of the streams of people, playing with their fingers, hoping for a moment to stop in mid-motion when they can flee from the concrete fields and glass mountains. It waits. It waits. For a person to stop waiting for that mid-stopped moment and to test out their toes to a new rhythm of root, because the soles of your feet are its favorite dancing shoes. When it finds you, it will tickle and tingle like the tips of feathers on fingers because your feet will no longer be asleep. Then it climbs up your spine like cold water streaming upwards, washes over your neck, runs its hands through your hair, nibbles your earlobes, and prickles your lips like you are kissing the soft side of Velcro. You shudder. You shudder because it just dawned on you, like a wash of grass showers and the smell of new sun, it dawned on you. You step out of the streamlined strangers and back onto sand. You are now out of the water and ahead lies a city of branches. You have been hit by a bubble, and now you can breathe. This next poem is a much more recent poem, but written about a very not recent event. <laughs> uh, I don't know if uh, you were aware, but the apology for so this poem references the apology made by the Canadian government for the residential school system back in 2008. Wednesday, June 11, 2008. My mother brings me to the House of Commons, and Harper tells us all he's sorry. We take the OC transport home. I feel hot on the sides of my neck like I know the other writers are feeling my regalia with their eyes. My mother is giggling at the French ads. She carves out great to it and sieve out plate. When we get home, she takes up smoking again. We sit at her desk, and as she pushes the smoke out through her teeth, eyes closed, she smiles says that the gray nuns are dementors who speak French. She offers me chocolate, and I chew it slowly. Let it get stuck in my molars and swallow. The room gets warmer. We go to sleep. Thursday, June 12, 2008. I go to school, and... At the end of the day, I come home. And finally, uh, this last poem is a favorite of mine to perform. And a lot of people always ask me, like, oh, but Billy, what is it about? I mean, that's kind of something I don't like saying. But if there is a big takeaway that I like from this that I've always held close to me, and especially in terms of uh, this event, change. Uh, always listen to kids. Uh, the movements and a lot of change will always come from the youth. I call this poem Sandman. 
The kids believe Sandman slipped on the suburbs in the night. A freak accident. Now, we're still trying to figure out what happened because evidence is scarce and the only reason we ruled out homicide is because the ones who never sleep were afraid of a mutiny. The event itself took four weeks to diagnose. We hypothesized that it all started when we stopped dreaming, when show and tell became watch and learn, when watch and learn became mindless. But no one really noticed and no one really minded because everything wasn't just sort of, kind of, it was perfect. Capital P, dot after the T, sans serif, perfect. Memorize the method, perfect. The ultimate objective was to objectify the ultimate goal. Now, things never really became a problem until a few weeks later. Backwards P, I instead of the E, a capital mess problem. See, my next-door neighbor, Donnie, had been having nightmares. Now, Donnie was always one of those problem kids, the kind who would climb trees and jump fences, the kind who always managed to just crawl by. Thing is, when Donnie started telling us about his nightmares, none of us could one-up his stories, and that's when we began to ponder our predicament, and that's when the ones who never sleep started to get scared. My fellow followers of the objective, he would say, when was the last time you slept? Do you remember what it was that you last dreamt when? Was the last time you remember dreaming anything at all? He continued in time to captivate us with his claims. He spun webs around us with his words while we gathered around him, eager to watch and learn. Dear comrades, he said, the stars have all been fading. I can't even see Ryan's belt and all the girls have been searching for that thing they've never felt. Our days are getting shorter and nights don't get past violet and the cold electric buzzing is the closest it gets to quiet. Can't you see? Something's missing. We've all gone bonkers in our heads. You'd think someone's been slipping poison in the sheets of all our beds. There must be justice. There's been a crime set upon us like a blanket. You can see it by the way our parents stroll blindly into banks and it's been ordered. We're all ordered from our disorder. But what everyone seems to forget that entropy is imminent. What's worse is that they forget that entropy is not the enemy, and neither is perfect. Now, it wasn't a revolution, but Donnie's speeches caused a stirring that was impossible to stop. It was all of our minds worrying and worrying. It was surely the beginning of our soon-to-be-deemed invalid investigation. But Donnie disappeared by the time his movement reached day three. Maybe it was ordered by the ones who never sleep, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that like a mocking honor on our morning last Friday this December, instead of, in loving memory, dear Donnie, the headlines compressed read, the kids believe Sandman slipped on the suburbs in the night. A freak accident. Thank you. That was Billy the Kid, aka Billy Kearns. Let's give him another hand.
And you just heard a reading by, again, Billy Kearns, or also known as Billy the Kid, in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held here on September 21st. Tell you what, I probably should do this, and I'll be right back. I'm David Suzuki. The average lunch or dinner travels 2,400 kilometers to get to your table. Eating local means combating global warming. The future is on your table. Eat your way to a healthier planet. Find out how at davidsuzuki.org. Folk everything. Every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a in a social and political system. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. Here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Now I do have a just two or three minutes or so here, it looks like maybe four, to share a few upcoming events and uh, won't have any time at the end of the second hour today, so I might just jump into it. Uh, the only thing I would mention first is that I want to thank you for tuning into the first hour, and if... Uh, you're interested there are four more events uh, readings are four more readers in that second session that will be aired here in the second hour Paul Kelly Tia Lunn Paul Shepu and uh, also uh, Sarah Dunkley so uh, and the other thing that I always mention at the end of every hour is that to remind you that uh, Shortly after I get home, each uh, af- after the show's over, I will upload both hours of today's show, uh, as I've always done in the past, and uh, to my blog space at Finding a Voice on CFRCFM.wordpress.com. And these 
two hours will remain there along with those before it for four years and uh let's jump into a few events i will tell you there is one coming up immediately well not immediately after the show but very shortly after this show this evening, there's a book launch and uh, reading, and it's uh, Nikki, and I've never asked the correct spelling, so I'm hoping it's Reimer, but it could be Reimer, Anita Dolman, and Nancy Jo Cullen. Uh, Nikki will be launching and reading from her recent, uh, recently released third book of poetry called My Heart is a Rose Manhattan, and uh, Anita Dolman and Nancy Jo Cullen, uh, Nancy is local. They will both uh, be reading from uh, selections from their own work. And uh, that will be happening this evening at 7, 7 to 9 p.m. at Novel Idea Bookstore, which is located at the corner of Princess and and Baggett Street. I don't know why I hesitated there for a minute. (laughs) Anyway, coming up to, uh, let's see, let's go to... uh, Coming up next week uh, on uh, Wednesday evening, October 30th from 7 to 9 p.m., Kingston Writers Fest is having an off-season special event featuring Jen Gunter. And I'm just quoting from their website here. It says, join Kingston Writers Fest for a special evening event featuring Canadian OBGYN, women's health advocate, and New York Times columnist Jen Guntner. In a reading and conversation with Ashley Waddington, Jen will discuss her new book called The Vagina Bible. It's a comprehensive, accessible antidote to the maelstrom of uh, misinformation around female sexual health. And uh, that is going to be happening again Wednesday, October 30th at uh, 7 p.m. Runs to 7 to 9. And... uh, it's going to be held at the Delta Hotel in the Grandview Room. I believe that's on the top floor. The Delta Hotel is located right at the end of Johnson Street by the water. I believe the correct address is number one Johnson Street. I will just mention, and that kind of gets us through next week, there are some other things. I would suggest you check with the Kingston Front Act Public Library, uh, www.kfpl.ca. They've got a number of events coming up, including uh, uh, NaNoWriMo uh, uh, during National Writing Month, a number of events coming up, and there are others. I will be sure to allow a little more time next week, but there weren't quite as many events this week, so, and I wanted to try to get as much of this 100,000 Poets for Change event to air before... It's hard to believe how quickly time goes and before it got too much later is what I guess I was trying to start to say. So at that point, and we're at the point now where I can tell you it is now 5 o'clock and you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Crothers Hall, Queen's University Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And in this second hour, again, you're going to hear, again, from the September 21st, 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event held at the Spire. 
and uh, minus, uh, you might have tuned in late. I did mention this at the very top of the first hour, but I'll do it again for those that may have uh, just tuned in or perhaps tuned in a couple of minutes late. Uh, minus uh, just a couple, I think three, two readings, I believe, and the final musician performance. Uh, in this hour, you're going to hear most of the remainder of the second half of that session. Billy was in it uh, in the first hour, and uh, we're going to do, um, going to air readings from four more poets: Paul Kelly, Tielan, Paul Shepu, and uh, Sarah Dunkley. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement is that occasionally some poetry spoken word or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So again, uh, we're going to move now fully into uh, the final portion of that evening session. Uh, of uh, uh, the 100,000 Votes for Change Kingston event. And uh, I should mention, I don't think I did that in the first hour even, uh, that this event uh, included or featured, is probably more accurate, uh, two dozen poets and four musicians. So, up first this hour, here is a reading by Paul Kelly. Welcome back, everybody, to the conclusion of the day's 100,000 Poets for Change event. We've heard some wonderful readings and performances throughout the day, and although they can't hear us, let's give them another hand. And uh, let's... uh, this is a beautiful venue. Let's give the spire a hand as well. And Donald Mitchell. Coming up uh, this evening, I believe in this order, uh, we are going to, you're, you're going to hear Paul Kelly, Billy Kearns, Tia Lunn, Paul Chapu, Sarah Dunkley, Chantal Lavoie, and then me, and then... Uh, as we have the last two years, we're going to let Irwin and some of his wonderful music take us out of here. Up first, Paul Kelly's numerous poems, essays, and translations have appeared in many journals and anthologies in Canada and the U.S. Kelly's poems have been called perfectly articulated acts of attention, austere, and I can't read it. Ascetic. Yes. It's my vision. It's not your words. (laughs) Of his most recent book, uh, Matters Music, one critic remarked that it is written with the intensity of a last day on earth. He lives in Kingston, Ontario. Let's bring up Paul Kelly. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank all your friends who are not. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, do that. That would be fun. Um, 
I'm going to read some... Oh, before I start, I would like to give thanks to whoever it was who thought of the 100,000 poets for peace at a time, I believe, two decades ago or so. And it seems in that time, peace has taken quite a beating. Um, we have only our lives to look at to see that. And uh, thanks to Bruce for organizing this. And thanks to the Spire for its wonderful acoustics. I'm going to read some uh, fairly recent poems. And um, then I'm going to read some older poems. And uh, that way I'll cover a certain arc of my life. Backwards. The best way. First poem is called Mayday. Can you all hear me? <coughs> Waiting for the shadow to sprout anemones, eyefuls of centuries of smoke and sweat and blood, of hunger's renewed promise, of the tools and trades of its manufacture. Tender anemones will rise and seize their rightful home in the shade. Air abdures into image, object, price. A moment goes mad, seeds snap. The season of separations begins. The anemones, earth-blind, dig to the root of the shadow. Incurable, I work a silence from your lips. A single sparrow swoops from the branch. The tree, leafless, keeps time. Lily, lover, comrade, the day spreads its center of its pink opening over the tree you were hung upon. Tree without shadow, where no birds nested then and nest not there now. Radiant ones, forsaken, this hosanna is for you. All that love and blood nailed as you to my penitence. This is called Memo to the Colleagues. Over the philosophy of wasps, a cloud offered shelter. The tree sang glory to the lowly sparrow, so that I could not bring myself to the place where you swarmed to fondle the axe. See through dark and snow time, delivers in cold glints a tiny spark of rust, of outrage, star of blood, corrosion's fervent rhizome. Here comes something quite exact. A beginning 
unapologetic, sudden with the strength of the rose. On the underside of ice, a wild red devotion whispers into civil iron the birth of its insatiable fruit. Excuse me. The pearl splendors its habitat of. Let me start again. (laughs) This is happening to me too much lately. The The pearl splendors its habitat of shell and slime. It shocks the watery star. One tear yields a harvest of salt. At its edge, the shore ravels and unravels the sea. Garlands of foam adorn a dark motion. The old moon awaits, longer and farther, awaits those who wait. For nerves, bone, flesh, restless to be born. In the season of bestowals, among the matting blossoms, being's bright sister, you, between the starling and the sparrow, also lean in to listen to May's new hubbub, the commotion of murmurs in the breaths of those daffodils, that small yellow noise, steady, Sure, somehow, I keep with you to myself, still. I know you, Lark Song, sudden, iffy on the hour spence, Flash and memoration in one breath. So still in all but thought and hunger's figures. Old hopes sung through fresh snows. We were pured with waiting. I include your shadow when I tell the time of history. The end of hope blossoms red and pales before the greening heart. An argument of light gives name its day. One kiss, a desert that kindles history. Despair and wonder, sleep, breath and limb, thorn and flesh entwine against and with each other. Their flower is called finality. Winds from the past have pushed it into being here. All that you gather, Judas tree, I recite to myself. The stalk of thorns rises, climbs by light, to light, 
reliable, your only ladder. Those are the newer ones. Now I'd like to read uh, a poem I wrote 35 years ago when I was young. This is a poem called Such Silent. It comes in, uh, I think, nine sections. I'm not going to read the numbers. And it has an epigraph from Stéphane Mallarmé, but I'm not going to read that either. I've read this poem only once. Ever. It was, I think I wrote it when I was 31 and it was published when I was 32 or 33. <coughs> so I don't know really how to read this poem, but we'll try. I'll try. Recall it all, the hold of hands, eyes light and laughter, the look of look, the life of look, all before since. Now all wise winds dark her in, quiet her in, disappear her, cold her. Not names now, as now turns never, everywhere absenser, between one object and another, sound stumbles toward all cease. After comes next, after, yes, after a while, lips wrap themselves around words warm breath I continue to begin your face before my eyes your name the echo of these rooms where there are more empty mirrors than windows here the endless begins for her eyes to reshape the air of light, all open in a place to be, <coughs> full of a newness of feeling, the world stretching itself out before us and to us, and all of us there to know it, all of it, with our voices, our ears, our bodies, our eyes, and our history, our laughter, to wake a place from its dream of itself, for all to make a different dream, so that someone could tell a story of a woman, a man, children, without guilt, without shame. To bring about the moment when the sleepers awaken 
and see themselves and all around them alive and transformed more than poor, durable people who continue to be lied to. There are solitudes which no hand, no word, no dream can touch. Hers is one of them. Where we come from, our hands, twisted, cracked, calloused, whose hardness is the touch of history's timeless tools, hands that work even in sleep, lifting and carrying and placing in the passage of months, of weeks, of days, of regrets, hands that have forgotten joy and the tender give of flesh, worn from the scrape of years and years of labor and cheap schemes, in wastes of wanting, dreams of getting, plans of having. We began in the hollow of those hands holding us. A daughter and a son are proof of your kisses. We are signs that love endures beyond its lovers, their arguments, their separations, their clenches, their bitter bodies, even their resignations. For you hid, you hid your kisses everywhere, folded in sheets, on the rims of coffee cups, on both sides of the mirrors. Two of them have settled on our faces, our mouths their outlines. They say that love outlives its lovers with every word, with every kiss that passes through them. Under this thunder, all becauses now near tomorrow, making for might be. Every moment opens the way eyes open, wings open, words, and listen, uncertain starlings shadow the lightning sky. Eyes of looking without eyes to look upon, fingers of wanting without fingers to feel, voice of asking without voice to answer, remembering before memory and after what forgets us. In sudden darkness, sudden light, Darlings in flight, we whirl toward the horizon. How can these birds know what is written on their wing? What tomorrow will we make, the last day of the path?
This one's even older than that. But it's short. Very short. When everything gone again, will they begin? When everything return again to the still unsaid? Thank you for listening. Up next, Billy the Kid. Billy Kearns is a Diné and Cree spoken word poet and storyteller. Her poetry uses playful metaphors to explore relationships with her. And I only aired that. I wondered what happened to the other half. I am sorry, Billy, that uh, uh, when you read in the first hour, that did not uh, get included. So I could have just shut it off, but I... It's a bit late, but uh, it's all there now, I guess. But before that, uh, you heard Paul Kelly in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event, again held at the Spire on September 21st, and again tied to the global event happening uh, those... It's usually the last weekend, I believe, in September, but I think it kind of happens throughout at least the last portion of September in different parts of the world. So up next in it that evening here, you're going to hear Tia Lunn. Up next, Tia Lunn is a queer poet from Thunder Bay, Ontario. This year she had her work published for the first time in the anthology Lake Effect 9. And these days, she considers herself a professional sad person. Her work mainly focuses on themes of identity, queerness, and mental health. Let's bring up Tia Lund. Thank you very much. The first couple poems I'm going to share are just about nature, which I don't write enough about. This one's called The Forgiveness Spot. The ground here is soft. I come here to lose old habits in the dry grass, to redraw the lines of myself with broken twigs, to make my peace with the dirt, to smooth fluidity over shaking fingers. Not to curse, but to care. Not to think, but to breathe. I am here. The wind is not yet what it will be, yet it strides with purpose towards autumn. My own fingers, a pen, black ink and no thought, shrinking sun and endless moon so surely watching over the red to green to blue, and I too am above it all. I reach, I expand, I breathe. I am safe. This, the working title, is In Kingston for the Summer, and it's about the heat. I'm sorry I'm ignoring you. You must be lonely. 
I want you to know I understand how you've touched me and why, but my whole life has been a series of burning hands. What you see has never been mine, so I'll tell you you're wasting your time on someone you'll never know. It's now been four months of trying your best, and I know you must be feeling flaccid and futile, but it's not you. It's us. I am too easy to bruise, so I could never let you hold me. Not when I've been promised a day when there will be lighter things to breathe out onto the insides of wrists and lips to press to the pulse points of one so gentle, so forgiving, so merciful. They melt under my hand. This is a sestina, which is why it may sound weird. It's called Everything is Burning. It's about mental illness. I am immune to gunfire, too soft to fracture, an oscillating target, pendulous, heavy. I can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, won't let me stop. I try to shoot out the light bulbs in my headache, but I can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop moving. No one pulls the plug. They keep me up all night, cold and buzzing, like my jaws are chainsaws in the cold molasses of the night. Bones collide and fracture in slow motion. The shards of me, barely moving fragments, have to swim slowly in air. This heavy air that presses and presses gives me a headache so my eyes roll back, vision blurring black. Please stop talking like talking could get me to stop. Nothing reaches my heart, nothing withstands the cold or survives the shock of my nuclear headache, hair trigger, slight and delicate hairline fracture, pressure crick cracking more and more, pressure heavy against the skin of what will never stop moving. My friends tell me that next fall they'll all be moving. They tell me I've been counting down too long to stop now. They have no helium to help my heavy. I'll be okay, they say, smokestack mouths in the cold. After all, it's never been worse than a fracture. Get away before I give you all a headache. When I'm alone, I become my own headache. Suffer the cacophonous neuroses moving, those black insects that click and shiver and fracture against each other's shell, and they can't ever stop. Swinging momentum propels them into the cold pit of cliché, so I say my heart is heavy because I cannot touch, only feel. My heavy hand falls on your heart and it splits like a headache. I too am wide open. I am raw, I am cold, but still I am a feminine product, moving frightened through all the cracks, but I am a bus stop. I am a thawed bag of peas against a fracture. You can't feel how heavy. You can't hear it moving like a headache you'll never touch. You'll never stop. Only I know how cold, how ice-like I fracture. And this is, what do I do now? I say her name and my family's faces fall into some bitter remembrance as if she hurt them more than she hurt me. And although I can say she did hurt me, I don't know how to say, not like that, not like he did. 
I don't know if they'd even listen because I know how happy they were to call him my boyfriend for a month when for years she was just a friend, as if they don't know how long I stared at the streaks of moonlight in her hair, lying next to her, facing her, looking into each other's eyes. I don't know who fell asleep first, but I remember thinking how tender it would have been to touch her face in that moment, but I was so scared. How do I tell my family I miss that fear? How do I fear the absence of fear? What do I do with a feeling too queer to understand? How do I explain that they may not have taught me the word lesbian was a curse, but someone, sometimes, somewhere did, and for every time she couldn't kiss me in public, there was a time when he did without asking me, my body never, ever, ever belonging to me, my body, always a bad word. Now, how do I tell them I knew exactly what I was doing? That however complicated it may seem, I let him make himself the perfect punishment for the way I still have not gotten over this. And I could say how ridiculous that is, how it's been too long, but I should also say that she was my friend. And even after I had forgotten the reason I let her love me, I still knew it was never because I hated myself. And there were moments, precious, breathless, faded moments when I saw the way she loved me, when she held my hand, when I thought maybe I couldn't be that bad, maybe there was something in me worth holding. I can't tell them how he could never call me pretty with the same mouth, how I asked her to marry me on our first date, how she was the only person I wanted to talk to the night I never wanted to talk to anyone ever again. And I can't tell her either. There is no longer a language we both know that would let me say, I loved you, and I miss you, and you are still every part of me I'm scared to touch. And this last poem is one I have sent to like all of my friends over the course of today um, because it's about them. It's called Doomsday. I'm not like this with anyone but you. I don't talk like this with anyone but you. It's like nobody ever wants to talk about it, but you do, so I do. Walking today, I realized how often I call myself a fish, almost always only to myself, and I don't talk about that enough, and I don't talk about the water enough. I want us to go to the lake together. If you would get your feet wet with me, I would talk about how desperately I'd wished you'd been with me in England where I promised my body to the sea and she turned me down. I'd never blame her. She's got bigger fish, so to speak. Some days it seems like all we can do is watch her circle the drain. So when we have these conversations, when you somehow miraculously tell me how nice your day has been, I know our voices are pitched through the flutes and all the plastic we swallow. I know it makes obstacle courses of our throats, so you have to work so much harder to be able to say you actually like something in a world that hates itself. And I may be sitting here in underwear with doomsday embroidered on the back, but while we wait, while we count down together, it is so, so good to talk to you. Thank you.
Tia Lund, let's give her another hand. And you just heard Tia Lun in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change that was held here in Kingston on September 21st. Up next from it, here is Paul Chaput. And up next we have Dr. Paul Chaput. He is a Métis academic actor, singer, composer, filmmaker, and poet from... Uh, Saint, I'm going to need my glasses. Manitoba. His PhD from Queen's University featured the use of film, planning stories, feeding communities knowledge, indigenous peoples, and film as a methodology to bring academic findings back to indigenous communities. In 1995, he was awarded the Star of Courage by Governor General Romeo LeBlanc. And... Uh, he has an email that he can give you and a website as well. Let's bring up Dr. Paul Chaput. Thank you, and um, welcome. Um, tonight, I'm going to read to you one of my favorite stories. And it's a story that um, came down to me through a, an author named uh, Martin Prechtel. And he speaks of this story as the uh, um, basically the foundation for his life after he heard it when he was 12, 12 years old. Um, it's the story of One Eye, um, a famous old Kiowa fighting man, and he was a U.S. prisoner of war incarcerated in the famous old Castillo of Fort Marion, Florida. And he was held there for years on that old island fortress along with the Chiricahua Gofle, better known as Geronimo. Now, ironically, some of the very same military officials responsible for hunting down these leaders and incarcerating them, killing their people, destroying all their horse herds and the animals and the lands that fed them, herding their people into concentration camps, and incarcerating people like One Eye for unlimited, unsentenced lengths of time. In their old age, these same officials um, had been, um, wait, wait a minute, in their old age, they started lobbying for the release of prisoners such as One Eye, declaring that the prisoners had been well-behaved and were now reformed and ready to join their relatives on the reserves set aside for them. So part of the procedure was that they would interview the, um, the uh, the people like one eye, the leaders, the incarcerated leaders. And uh, so this is the interview. When it finally came time for one eye's interview, they say that General Crook, with a secretary and a Kiowa speaking Oklahoma half blood interpreter, took down the great old man's testimony while he himself worked methodically on a perfect half sized version of a Kiowa hunting bow to sell to a tourist. And the interview reads as follows. General Crook. <clears throat> One eye. What does it feel like to be a conquered people? The interpreter translates. There's silence. Just the sound of one eye scraping the boat. Crook. Why don't you answer? 
Looking down, continuing with his work, one eye replies, I don't understand the question. Crook. Wow. Let me rephrase the question. What is it like for you to be in here and for me and the rest of the world to be out there? One eye. I don't know. We're all in here. Crook. No, one eye. You are a prisoner here. I am not. One eye. As far as my one eye can see, you and I are sitting right here this moment. Not being very metaphorically advanced and never suspecting a simple native of such big thoughts, the exasperated general began another approach. Crook. <clears throat> um... Look here, one eye. Do you remember how me and my troops used to chase you and your people around? We could never catch you. Why? Because you were better mounted. Your people were a single organism and could split up and rejoin days later. It was like chasing the wind. You had better horses. They were little, but much better than ours, and your women and your little kids rode better than our men. That's why we killed all your horses wherever we found them. You were a magnificent people. A beautiful people. But that is no more. You are in here wearing old army uniforms and your people are corralled on reservations. You're in here and we are out there living on your former territory. What does that feel like, one eye? One eye. No. You are, you and I are sitting right here, right now, together, General. Crook. Please. One eye. Don't you want to get out of this place? All the buffalo that you used to chase are all extinct. Totally gone. The plains you rode free are all planted with in grids of wheat, milling with whites. The entire land is crisscrossed with smoking railroads, trains, wooden towns, mines. The trees cut down for trestles and telegraph poles and poles to carry electricity lines. The entire land utterly fenced with barbed wire so no one off the road could travel like the birds you used to be. It's all gone, One-Eye. How does that feel? One eye. I don't know, General Crook. How does it feel? I only know what I was, how it was. I haven't seen what you made happen. How does it feel to be sitting in here with me, with you and yours having caused what happened out there? Silence. Only the sound of one eye working on his miniature hunting bow. Finally, Crook says, One eye. If I present what you've just been saying to the Congress, they're going to interpret your attitude as continued non-compliance and a sign of unreformed incorrigibility. Can't you tell me anything to help you gain your freedom? 
When the interpreter stops, one eye for the first time stands and speaks. General Crook. I do remember you chasing us. I remember giving your troops the slip many times. I remember fighting you. And yes, we were a magnificent people. Our women were more beautiful than anyone else's. They had more elk teeth on their dresses than any other tribe. They had solid silver belts and beaded Indian boots up to their hips, two soft deer hides per side, with silver buttons all the way down. Our young men could run buffalo down on foot. Our little girls roped antelope from horseback, just for fun, drag, dragging them back to camp for pets. I myself, like all the others, had hair ornaments of graduated solid silver rounds that stretched beyond my height to drag on the ground beside my horse as I rode. Yes, we ate well, lived well, and our enemies wanted to kill us just to touch something as great as us. Even they admired us. Our friends, in vain, always imitated us. Even the wild spreading elk were jealous of how bravely we walked and how beautifully we lived, how we joked, how we died, how we sang, and yes, Maybe those times are all gone. But we are not a conquered people. The Kiowa were a great people, you say. But remember, General, if they were great, they were not great because they were Kiowa. The Kiowa were great because of what was in the ground and how they lived with that holy thing. If our ancestors were great, it was not because they were Kiowa, but because of the way they lived with what was in the ground. The way we lived with what was in the ground is what made us great. We weren't Kiowa because our mothers were Kiowa. We were Kiowa because to be a Kiowa, you descended from the people who taught you how to live with that holy thing that was in the ground. Some of our mothers were Comanches, others Utes, Pueblo Indians, Cheyennes, some even white, and others Mexicans. But all of us were Kiowa, because what made us great was how we lived with that holy thing in the ground. And what was in the ground is still in the ground. You can string up the earth all you want with your wire mined from the dog holes you dig. You can cut and plow and make the world tame, ugly, and dead all you want. You can crisscross the land with trains, houses, and drilled wells. You can kill as much as you like of the original land, cut down all her trees, exterminate all the natives you can manage to catch. But you, with all your inventions, still don't have the power to kill what made us great. For what made us great if we were great, is still in the ground, and we would rather die great than live dead like you, hating what's in the ground. Not even you can kill what gives you yourself life, for with or without your presence, what gives you life still lives on in the ground. No, General, 
it looks to me that you are just as much as I am right in here with us. And no matter what happens to me, my people are not a conquered people because our greatness has never been captured by anyone. What made us great is still in the ground. So, General, to answer your question, I can't tell you what it feels like to be a conquered people. Maybe you should tell me. Silence. Then, holding up the smooth, beautifully finished little bow, one eye spoke. Would you like to buy a bow, General? Thank you. That was Paul Chaput. Let's give him another hand. And you just heard Paul Chaput in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event. Up next, here is Sarah Dunkley. Up next, Sarah Dunkley is a Mohawk turtle clan from Taiwan. Tiagan, Tiagan, oh my God. I say it at home all the time, but I get in front of people, apparently can't. Tiagan, Tiagan, Naga, territory. Uh, She is a social worker currently doing her master's degree in indigenous trauma and resilience. She is a mother, grandmother, community worker, among many other things. Sarah is in the process of publishing her first book of poetry and prose, titled The Beauty After the Storm. Let's bring up Sarah Dunkley. Thanks for having me again. I don't usually have a good sense of timing, and so I'm going to do my very best. There's um, a few pieces I wanted to share with you that are relatively new this year. Can you hear me okay? Okay. So I'm just going to go into them. The first one I'm going to start with is called Solitude. I'm going to try to figure out. I don't usually use my phone, but there's one that I didn't have in here. Okay. Solitude. I sit in solitude, but not in the dark. I sit alone yet surrounded. I am embraced by my ancestors. I hear their footsteps in the leaves. I hear their laughter in the birds and their advice in the trees. I feel their embrace in the wind. I feel their guidance in the sun and their love in the earth. I sit in solitude, but not in the dark. I sit alone yet surrounded. I am embraced by creation. I find my beauty in the leaves. I find my courage from the birds and my strength from the trees. I let go with the wind, I grow each day with the sun, and gather wisdom from the earth. I sit in solitude, but not in the dark. I sit alone, yet surrounded. I am embraced by my people. I am reminded that they come and go like the leaves, that they and I are free to roam like the birds, and that we are all strong, rooted, and unique like the trees. 
I allow old relationships that do not serve me well to wash away with the wind. I welcome new healthier ones to wash over me like the warmth of the sun. I connect to all of creation surrounding me and am reminded we are all of this earth. I sit in solitude. I'm surrounded. I'm embraced. I am love. This one is called Sisters. I was just trying to play around with some words with this one. Sisters are the women and girls who become friends. They are the associates who share the same perspectives. They bring laughter into each other's lives with their weird ways, strong opinions, and bonding moments. They trust each other, are loyal to each other, whether they agree or disagree. Sisters are siblings, whether blood-related or not. They walk side by side, sometimes hand in hand. They have a relationship built around happiness, peace, love, authenticity, and quirkiness. Sisters share secrets during sleepovers. They are the closest relatives or peers that you will ever encounter. They are competitive yet honest. They are authentic and loving. Sisters share a special bond that cannot be broken. They can spend months apart and always come back together. The time apart drifts away as though it hasn't passed. Sisters support each other through anything and everything. All women need their sisters. I'm trying to remember which ones I wanted to do. Okay, I'm going to skip over to this one for now. This is called Conquer with Love. And I wrote this one last year for school. Gandhi's words ring true today to help move us forward in a good way. Be the change you want to see. It's the perfect solution for you and me. Lateral violence comes from colonization, tearing each other apart, breaking down our nations. It's 2019, time to change up our scene, building up our people, stop being so mean. We spend our energy on violence and hate when we need to spend time on how to relate. Positive change can only begin with you or me. How about spreading positivity? Be a role model for kindness and love. Live with passion and guidance from above. Don't treat others the way they treat you. It's learned, beha- it's learned behaviors they are following through. Look deep within to see beyond their pain. Dig real deep inside your own brain to heal your own wounds and have love for yourself. Take that violence and keep it away on the shelf. The colonialism and oppression can only continue if we participate and continue to pursue. So hold yourself accountable for all of your actions. Build a wall of kindness to feel the satisfaction. We have the ability to hinder or help. We need to remember exactly how it felt to have a positive mentor in our life who helped carry our worries and ease our strife. You and I, we have a purpose in this place. Follow your heart. It's time to embrace the gifts that you carry, the talent you've been given, and fight the oppression so we can keep on living. Gandhi's words still ring true today to help keep to help keep us moving in the best way. Whenever you are confronted with an opponent, conquer him with love within every moment. And I think I will do the obscene truth. Um, and then I think I'll finish with she Okay, so the obscene truth. Little eyes peeking through, full of fear what to do. Mama's crying, daddy screams, I disappear to my happy dreams. One big hit and down she goes, I only wish that someone knows. Mama's hurt, black and blue, heart is broken, torn in two. Daddy's angry, turns to rage, wish we could hide in a faraway cage. Someone knows, but what do they do? They take us away from all that we knew. Pulling us off Mama's arm, relieving us from his harm. Taking us away from each other, never to know or see our mother. Our language is gone, our culture is dead. They tell us we are much further ahead. Growing up in this strange place, 
never to know my true race. Anger and hatred fill my heart because I don't fit into any part. My skin is different, my heart is sour, I am missing a huge piece of my power. Because he hit her and she didn't leave, we are all left here to grieve. The loss of community, family, and friends, how do we ever try to make amends? The loss of culture, language, and identity, the truth of it all is just obscenity. And so this is She Rocks. I just wrote this one not long ago for uh, an event that's actually coming up that's called She Rocks. It's a Women's Wellness Day. She is the light that shines down on all of our darkest days. She's the strength that holds us up every time we want to fall. She is the swift flow of the water that carries our worries away. She is the shoulder that our tears fall upon. She is the sounding board of our sometimes roar. She is the foundation that we stomp around on. She loves beyond limitations. She understands without a doubt. She unconditionally wraps us up in warmth. Who is she, you ask? She is our first mother, the earth. She teaches us how to interact with the world. She teaches us how to give, how to receive, and how to let go. She rocks. Who is she really? She is the mother of us all. The daughter, sister, granddaughter, niece. She is the grandmother, auntie, and friend. She rocks. This woman has no limitations of what she can achieve. She reaches for the stars each night when she lays her head down. She shines as bright as the sun in the morning. Sometimes the burden is heavy. Sometimes the bruises hurt. Sometimes life is unbearable. Yet she rocks. She allows all things that no longer serve her well to wash away with the river. She lets it all go like the leaves in the fall. She plants her feet in the earth and allows it to fall away. She picks herself up every morning. She reminds herself she is worthy. She braces herself for another day. She allows herself to learn new ways. She allows others in that will teach and learn. She will grow and glow and maybe not even realize she rocks. She roots herself to the earth. She reaches for the stars. She shines bright like the sun. She smiles like the moon. She goes with the flow like the water. She breathes new life like the wind. She glows warmth like the fire. She is sweet like the berries. She is medicine like the plants. She is a strong, solid foundation. She is a soft, gentle caress. She is a true, honest caretaker. She is a humble, beautiful flower. She is a glistening, quiet stream. She is a confident, protective mama bear. She is all that she dreams to be. She is all that she envisions. She is all that she allows herself to be. She rocks. Thank you. Sarah Dunkley, let's give her another hand. And that was Sarah Dunkley in the second half of the evening session of the 100,000 Poets for Change Kingston event, again held at the Spire on September 21st. Uh, there is, uh, well, she, she is the final poet. You'll hear from that event this afternoon. And just a reminder, there are two remaining readings and a musical performance uh, that concluded the show that evening. Uh, uh, Chantelle Lavoise in my own uh, poetry reading and a musical performance by Erwin uh, that will begin the show next week as uh, we finish the full event up and uh, then we'll move into something else. I'm still 
organizing that and we'll see yeah, and i can't tell you what it is right now because it's still in the works so i would like to thank you for tuning in today uh, you, you have been listening to finding a voice here on cfrc 101.9 fm we are located in lower carruthers hall queen's university kingston ontario my name is bruce here every friday afternoon from four to six o'clock we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca and i just want to remind you that each hour of this show each week will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after i get home and remain there for four years you can find it there at finding a voice on the cfrc fm dot wordpress.com again so much thanks for tuning in today and hope you can stay tuned coming up right at the top of the hour after these few messages two hours of east coast music and a show called saltwater music hosted by rob Cornell. again top of the hour have a great uh, week and i'll catch you here next week thanks Loving Spoonful is a community food organization in Kingston, Ontario. We work to create and promote food security in our city through many projects, including community gardens, farmers markets, grow a row, food reclamation, and community kitchens. Currently, Loving Spoonful is looking for volunteers to help deliver fresh, healthy food to shelters and meal programs. We are also seeking volunteers to participate in kitchen work bees, where we preserve surplus produce to be used in meal programs. Please email info at lovingspoonful.org if you're interested in getting involved. For more information about Loving Spoonful, visit www.lovingspoonful.org. Listen to Spice Machine every Saturday, 1 p.m. till 2 on CFRC 101.9 FM to hear a delightful mix of dreamy tunes. From contemporary artists to classic gems, we are here to make your weekends bop, groove, and juke. I guess it's going to pack a punch, I guess you could say. Sweet, spicy, and salty. Very spicy. Electronics Kingston, your source for DJ gear and live band gear rentals for Kingston and the surrounding area. Brands such as Pioneer, Techniques, Rain, and so much more. New digital and vintage analog in stock for rental. Full white glove delivery, setup, operate, and loadout services for theater, dance floors, and live music festivals. Q Electronics, lighting, sound, and video. Look us up on Facebook for more. Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the campus and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM.